The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Before, before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put, in, put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into the hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you were clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You called me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to have washed one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning again. It's a joy to have you with us, and I'm so grateful that my son, Caden, read scripture. Great job. Love you, bud. Before we dive into this passage, would you bow your heads with me as I share another brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever been shocked by someone's servant heart? According to reports, the year was 1878, and a young minister from the United States had heard about a powerful ministry taking off in the streets of London. Founded by William and Catherine Booth, the Salvation Army was reaching thousands of people throughout England, including thieves, prostitutes, uh, gamblers, drunkards, and the like. And so Samuel Logan Bringle, an American Methodist clergyman uh, who at one point had a dream of being a bishop, he made his way across the Atlantic to join the cause. Only his reception was not what he had anticipated or hoped. You see, after connecting with the founder, William Booth, upon his arrival, the founder experienced Bringle as, quote, 
a dangerous man. And he experienced some apparent pride in the young man and said, quote, you've been your own boss for too long. Consequently, Booth assigned the young pastor the most menial of tasks to train or disciple him. And this included cleaning the boots of all the other disciplees or trainees. To this, Bringle would ask himself, have I followed my own fancy across the ocean, across the Atlantic, in order to black or shine boots? And it's then, as in a vision, that the young pastor saw Jesus bending over the feet of rough, dirty, unlettered fishermen. And he then turned to the Lord in prayer and whispered, Lord, you washed their feet, so I will clean their boots. Samuel Logan Bringle would go on to serve for over 30 years in the Salvation Army, becoming the first uh, American to ascend to the rank of commissioner. And he would, excuse me, he would witness, listen to this, he would witness and see over 250,000 people converted to faith in Jesus through their ministry together. You see, the call to service can be shocking, can it? Yet the results of such service, even the most menial of tasks, can produce the most meaningful results. And this heart for service, which the young pastor discovered, is found actually at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of our passage. And this, this leads us to our big idea, our big takeaway from John 13 today. Friends, the love of Jesus is shocking. For it's always great, often gritty, and it's oh so good when lived out. The love of Jesus is shocking, for it's always great, oh often so gritty, and oh so good when lived out. You ready to unpack it, Butch? Let's do this. Point one, the love of Jesus is always great. Before the Passover festival, our passage reads, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands that he'd come from God and he was going back to God. So let's stop here. First, let me provide a little background information about our passage. At the conclusion of John 12, which Pastor Drew preached on last week, Jesus ends his public discourses and he retreats to what's called the upper room. You ever heard of that? The upper room, a lodging place prepared for he and his disciples. And here in chapters 13 through chapter 17, Jesus spends the remaining hours of his life with them before the crucifixion, which would happen approximately 15 to 18 hours later, in which they didn't figure out or know about. 
And he'd pour into these inner core of followers, these disciples, and he'd, he'd teach them, Gary, about love and about service and about fidelity and about unity and about prayer. And as we're introduced to this upper course, upper room discourse, excuse me, with his insiders, we're told these words. Did you catch them? He loved them to the end. Meaning Jesus will end up going to the furthest lengths to show his love for his disciples, to show his love for you and for me. And now as we examine our passage, there's a little textual element right in verse 1 that's planted there to highlight this truth, this love for us. And it's this. We're specifically told the disciples are gathered for the Passover festival. So why is this significant? Well, if we go back to the beginning of the book of John, do you remember what John the Baptist exclaimed when he saw Jesus? John 1, 29, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Moreover, if we look at the Gospel of John, the whole book, we see this Passover theme over and over and over again woven through the entire story. We see it in chapter 1. We see it in chapter 2. We see it in chapter 6, chapter 11, 12, 13, 18, and 19. Meaning, Webb, it's pretty significant. And so what does it mean? It means this. Mark, in Jesus you are loved with a shocking kind of love. It means that in Jesus... You and I are loved with a sacrificial kind of love. It means that in Jesus, you and I are loved with a limitless kind of love. Do you know that this morning? For just as God had delivered the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt through a Passover lamb, an unblemished lamb, God will deliver you by way of Jesus, we're told. The unblemished lamb of God, who is the son of God, who's been sent by God, who carries the fullness of God, we read in Colossians, and who will go on to give his life as an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. He loved them to the end, we read. Meaning the love of Jesus does not come with conditions or with limits. Dan, it's not sometimes great, it's always great. And it's offered to you and me, to everyone here today. Now to drive home this truth, we must continue in our passage. And this leads us to point two. The love of Jesus is shocking for it's often gritty. John 13, verse four through nine reads, and so Jesus got up from supper and he laid aside his outer clothing and he took a towel and he tied it around himself and next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him he came to Simon and who asked him Lord are you gonna wash my feet and Jesus answered him what I'm doing you don't realize now but afterward you'll understand and Peter said you will never wash my feet. To which Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part 
with me. And then Simon Peter replied, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, my whole being. Now allow me to paint a picture of this scene because it's really interesting. As the disciples sat down for supper, they would have sat on mats, not chairs, but mats around a table. And they would have leaned forward towards this table. Jack, you, you tuned in? They would have leaned like this. Can you do this? Yeah, left arm, left arm. There we go. They would have leaned on their left elbows or arms, and that would have left their right arm and hand free to eat. And here's the other thing. Their feet would have not been under the table. It would have been behind the table, behind them. Now, in that time, honor and rank were highly esteemed. And one's place in society would have allowed a person a better place at the table and to be exempt from certain duties. And guess what duty no one wanted to perform? Foot washing. It was seen as one of the lowest of the low things in ancient Israel. Foot washing, you see, or cleaning the dirt and the grime, the dust off a guest's feet after removing their sandals was seen as one of the most menial of tasks. In fact, in ancient, uh, according to ancient sources, listen to this, uh, we find out that disciples were called to serve their teachers, such as in the Old Testament, Elijah with Elijah, but they would have never been required to wash their teacher's feet. Isn't that interesting? That was, that was exempt. Instead, this duty would have fallen on the lowest person in the home or in society, and in that time, it most likely would have been a Gentile slave or a woman or a kid. And it's in this backdrop that Jesus does the unthinkable. He gets up from the table, takes off his garments, takes the posture of a slave, and he begins to wash their feet. One can only imagine the silence in the room. You see, the point Jesus was making was to show them that nothing is beneath him and nothing is beyond him. The love of Jesus is shocking because it's oh so gritty. It aims to touch us and cleanse us in those places in our lives that are most tender, most soiled, and most shameful. Let's bring it into the room. You know that bad decision you made years ago that cast a shadow over your soul even today. Jesus wants to forgive you and heal you. You know that bad habit you can't shake, the one that pops up at night when no one's around? Jesus wants to free you from that place. You know that toxic relationship you often turn to for a cheap hit of false intimacy that you know you need to move past? Jesus wants to call you from that place. You know that certain part of you that if exposed would embarrass you and maybe even your family. Jesus wants to love you right in that place. It's to these gritty and perhaps gross areas of our lives that Jesus comes and says, let me make you clean so that you may be whole. And of course, if we're honest, this scares the daylights out of us, doesn't it? You know, when I was coming to faith, wrestling with this whole thing, I had come to logically believe in the love of God through Jesus, but I hated myself. 
You ever been in that place where you are just kind of stuck in the mud and you just are not a fan of you? Yeah, Jesus wants to love that you. And I finally surrendered, like we sang about earlier. And it changed everything. Peter struggled with this too. He's like, uh, Jesus, this is way out of the norm here. Are you saying, are you doing what I think you're doing? If so, I'm out. I'm out. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. And thus we're left with a choice, aren't we? We either let Jesus be the Lord of our lives by being the Lord of the towel, or we don't. We either let his love shock us and saturate us, or we don't. And yet the story does not stop here. This leads us to point three. The love of God, excuse me, the love of Jesus is oh so good when lived out. The passage concludes, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since this is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example. You also should do as I've done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, a messenger not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. You see, what makes Jesus so irresistible, he not only calls us to a new place of being where we're known, forgiven, and loved, he calls us to a new place of living. And in so doing, he makes a bold promise. It all hinges on one word, which is blessed. Blessed. Say it with me. Yeah. We overuse this word in the South, don't we? When I came from New England about 10 years ago, I was like, man, everyone's saying you're blessed. Be blessed. It's not quite in that same tone that we read about it in the Bible. You know, when you drive through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and they're like, you know, God bless you. Have a blessed day. And you get that heavenly chicken. I mean, that's a blessing. But that's not what John is referring to here. It's definitely not when someone looks you up and down, Kathy, and goes, oh, bless your heart. That's not such a blessing. This word comes from a Greek word called makarios, and it means to be happy or made large in God's love. Any kids in here? Can you do this with me? Barrett, come on. You got it. There we go. Cody, you're not a kid, but you can do it. It means to be made large or extremely happy in God's love. Why? Because we become heirs to all of God's grace and benefits. It means we are set free. We can live light and we can live generously because we are loved and adopted by a king. Now just imagine with me, if you will, if we really live like this as followers of Jesus. If we saw, just take a look around the room. If we saw every single person in here, every kid, every student, every couple, every family, whoever walks through these doors, as we saw, if we saw every single person in here as someone whose feet we were called to wash. And just imagine if we did it in its various forms. 
What kind of difference would that make? What kind of community would we become? What kind of witness would we display to a world that's hungry for a limitless kind of love? You are blessed enlarged in God's love every time you open the door for a newcomer or a stranger. Adelaide, you are blessed enlarged in God's love every time you serve or speak encouragement to those kids who aren't your own. Friends, you are blessed enlarged in God's love every time you pray for someone or encourage them. Friends, you are blessed enlarged in God's love every time you sit beside that grieving person. You are blessed, enlarged in God's love every time you sit with your aging parent or even talk to them on the phone. Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. If you know these things, you're blessed if you study them. You're blessed if you pontificate about them. If you reflect on them, you're blessed if you do them. And guess what? When we bless others, we have no idea the kind of impact we'll be making. Now, between the services, I read this comment. Where's Honeybee? Melissa Borland, you in here? She's in the back serving. That's very fitting. Because she wrote this in response to our one kid's camp this last week. She said, yay, camp leaders. Just know you guys are investing in the eternal. I still remember my camp counselor from the third grade. There she is. Good timing, Melissa. She goes on to, she goes on to write, her name was Ginger and she had curly brown hair. I don't remember a thing of what she said. I just remember she made me feel like I mattered to Jesus. And that was 25-ish years ago. Know that y'all are someone's ginger. Y'all are helping kids know that God sees them. Don't discount that investment. You guys rock. And so as we close this time, I believe we're called to two responses. The first is surrender. 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 What area of your life do you need the love of Jesus to touch, forgive, or heal today? Will you cry out to him and allow him to wash your feet and wash your soul today? Or perhaps you are brand new to this faith thing and you're like, why am I listening to this giant with a beard preach at me? But it's clicking. And you're like, I get it. I, I see how irresistible and unbelievable the love of Jesus is. And you recognize that you need this always great and often gritty love of Jesus to shock you and saturate you. Will you give your life to Jesus today? And then second, serve. What Jesus is saying is that to embrace this, we must embrace this. You see it? As a church, we need lay leaders all over the place. What if we rised up collectively and blessed others 
in the way Jesus has blessed us. Here's the truth. We're going into the fall and we're in a reset moment. We've been through a crazy season, haven't we? And we have a mission critical need in a few different areas. Let me just highlight those. First, we have a mission critical need and opportunity in our one kids team. Whether you have kids or not, you can make a difference. You can invest in their lives. Another mission critical need is we need people on our connections team to welcome newcomers in the love of Jesus. And we also have a need in our events team as we set up and tear down all the different fun things we're gonna do in the fall like hog and harvest and the like. Think about the area you are perhaps least excited about and hear these words of Samuel Logan Bringle again. Lord, you washed their feet, so I'll shine some boots. Will that be you with us this year? Friends, the love of Jesus is shocking for it's always great, often gritty, and oh so good when lived out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, how he came to serve and give his life for us that we may be forgiven and healed. Would you search us and know us right now and those areas of our life that we need cleansing and forgiveness, would you forgive us in the name of Jesus right now? So if that's you, just quietly whisper a confession. I give this to you, Lord Jesus. Wash me, all of me, and make me whole. And God, would you call us to service on mission with you? Would you show us the people we're called to serve, the teams we're called to join? May we understand that as we do this, we get to be your sons and daughters, living light and free and so generously. Make us that kind of people, Lord. We pray for our good and your glory. Amen.